minutes late. Yeah. Yeah. She'll jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to another exciting episode of the Infinite Jest podcast, uh, etc. and such. Um, you know how there's like at all for like and all? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, there's also one that at merd is and shit. Huh. Oh, really? Is that French? It, uh I don't know. I don't think so. But okay. um but yeah, that's the thing. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Yeah. Doing good. good. Yeah. Happy All to right. be here. Yeah, great to be here. Um yeah, glad you you guys could join us as always. Um, <clears throat> as I've said a bunch of times, summer is so hard, and I hate like holding up a weekend day kind of to figure out if we can do it. So thank you guys very much for your flexibility. Thank um, you. So yeah, we're we had just finished Eschaton. Mm -hmm. Um. Anything, you know, I don't know if the, if I'm the only one that's like this, but anything after we got off the call that, that maybe you said, oh, fuck, I, I completely forgot about this or anything like that? Mm, not really. Not me. All right. All right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, just a couple things. And I spoke with Liz, our fearless leader earlier. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Oh, what have you been up to? I'm like, Oh, not much. And then I'm like, Oh, fuck. I went to see dead and company at Fenway. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I had never been in Fenway, um, was not in Boston as long as I would have liked. It was kind of a hit and run thing, but it was really cool to be there. And, uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned whether it's on this podcast before or not, I don't know, but the last time I was in Boston, we went for a weekend and I made a point of going to an AA meeting, um, mm -hmm. a Sunday morning men's AA meeting. So as we get into that, I'll kind of, cool. you know, we'll talk about what I saw and uh, very little surprise. Uh, it was fucking on the nose. You know, the descriptions, not so much with the speakers, obviously, that's tough to predict, but the rest of it, it was pretty, pretty spot on. Huh. Um, one thing that I had forgotten to mention from last time in that footnote that is Pemulus speaking, um, there's this one line, almost a throwaway line, inks looking at me like butter would freeze. Okay. Um, that phrase is one that the first time I read it, it kind of stuck out to me. Like I've never heard that expression before. Um, I wonder the etymology and such, and I looked it up and it's inconclusive. But that very phrase shows up in this book, some variation of that phrase shows up in the book at least three times. Really? Yeah. Um, so here it's uh, what? Like butter would freeze. There's another instance like butter couldn't melt. Huh. Um, but but, but there is, I want to say three instances. And at least in this case, I mean, by all appearances, it's Pemulus's voice. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that 
at least one of the other occurrences is Randy Lenz. And I can't remember what the other one is. But um, that is one that jumped out to me um, because, you know, there are a lot of repeated things in this book. Yeah. Um, you know, but a lot of the colloquialisms just seem a lot more familiar. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. you know, any fill in the blank, any sort of colloquialism that is used, you know, and it will be a few times. That one jumped out at me because um, I had never heard it before, and it does show up in the strangest of places. So. Um, and yeah, then the other thing, hi, Erica. Hi. Oh, hi. Sorry, I'm late. Good to see you. We've been waiting. seeing all of you. Um, so yeah, so the one thing at the end of Eschaton and, you know, I think we, we probably beat it to death pretty good last time, but at the end of this scene, there is an unmistakable reckoning that's coming um you know if if you think of it in terms of shakespeare uh this is certainly end of act one right mm-hmm. where fucking stakes are high there's no fake pissing your way out of this one like kids have injuries. Um, it's a very public weekend. They are going to be in the public eye. Shit is going. Someone's going to have to pay for this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that in the moment, if even Hal a- a- and the crew realize this, or maybe to some degree they do, but. I, I won't ask personally. I'll just volunteer that I have certainly been in a position where shit goes south and you say, fuck. And then you have like the whole weekend to just think about it. And, and you know, think about it in this case. Now, Hal, Pemulus, everybody else, it's I Day weekend. So everybody's there. You know, the pro-rectors, the administrators, everybody is there, as well as the kids with black eyes and everything else. Um, so, yeah, the end of that chapter, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it's a me thing, maybe it's an infinite jest thing, that you, you maybe, or at least I didn't recognize the kind of high drama, high suspense moment that it is, because like everything else in this book, it's buried under 400,000 words. Um, But unmistakably at the end of the Eschaton chapter, shit, shit's bad. And somebody's going to have to answer for it. Um, So the AA meeting, uh, Boston AA is unlike AA in any other place, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so, uh, man, where do we jump in here? What, what, what did you guys make of this? 
I found so many things, so many parts that were so funny. I had to write that down. This is funny. This is funny. Funny. This is funny. Yeah. What What I are some of them? Hime, you got it right there. The white flag, like surrender. The names. Mm -hmm. the, the, I don't know if the so so and so yeah. Part of the funniness is yeah the names that he comes up with. The white flag group. I I would assume that's making a reference to surrender. Sure. And so that that is, I think, it's super funny. Just one example. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else or anybody else? I mean, this this whole these like couple past like the couple bits. Man, I felt like reading these. I was like getting prepared for a test where like I kind of like knew know some of the stuff. But it's just like where to begin or like mm. what to really say about it. You know, mm. I mean, it's just kind of like a, like, I don't know what to say, but it's just like, man, like it just is answering all of like maybe Jeffrey Day's questions from like maybe mm. a couple clips ago when he's just like, you know, kind of really trying to come to terms with what AA is and all that stuff. And it's like, mm. just like read this and like, if you can just believe this a little bit, then like, Maybe you'll keep yeah. going to AA. You know what I mean? It's really there's just so much going on. It's so uh, so like well written. He does such a great job of just sort of weaving everything together. And uh, you know, I don't know. If you guys have thoughts of like who's narrating this? If this is like you know Don or okay, I, I don't know, super okay. super like easy for me to read, and it's like in a voice that like I totally like um, you know grab onto for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I think, yeah, all of that, absolutely valid. Um, and actually, before we get too far in, I just want to point out that the Eschaton chapter and this AA meeting chapter are, are really happening concurrently or mm -hmm. consecutively. Certainly, yeah. they're happening on the same day, which may be the first and or only time in the narrative that we have that happening. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I had mentioned before that one of the ways that I think of this book, um, On the Road, when it was written, was written on a scroll. And Kerouac said it was because he was so dreamed up and everything else, he didn't want to stop writing to change paper. So he just put in this long scroll and kept typing. And I can kind of see that here yeah. where let, let's say that scroll is going and where it folds over is kind of where the stories intersect. Um, and I say that only because it makes as much it's as good a reason for the chronology of this book as any other. Um, cause it's not by chance that is for sure, but I don't think we're going to put the Bible code to it and say, well, we go forward three years and back a month. And, um, so the fact that these two instances are happening so close to each other, I think it is definitely indicative of something as well. Um, so yeah, the, Kevin, I, I think you're right. There's really something for everyone here, right? Like if you say, 
you know, maybe that alcoholic that says, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's slipping away a little bit. I used to be a weekend drinker and now I notice I'm having a couple more during the week. There is something at AA that's going to make him say, holy fuck, I should, uh, I should go one way or the other with this. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, you know, that alcoholic that, that, that's much more advanced in their discovery, you know, maybe they do need uh, carrying a dead baby story around to really fucking mm-hmm. shake mm-hmm. their head. Mm-hmm. But there is something for everyone, I would mm-hmm. agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, I'm just trying to find it here. I'll get there. Um, but what would you say that this chapter is about, or if you were to describe it? To, to me, the word that comes out is identify this idea, which is what happens in AA in the meetings. This idea of no matter and, are- and I'm sorry, Hime, I'm not yeah, ignoring yeah. your question about narrative. Um, I don't know. We will certainly, you know, try to point out some things today. So please go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that to me, that is maybe the essence, the word identify, how that is what happened, right, in the story. So many different people, different personalities. Some of them believe in AA, some of them don't, some of them are young, some of them are old, um, newcomers, old comers. But, but this idea in common that it's easy, it's so easy, and I don't think it happens anywhere else. It's, it's, I don't know, that's what I think. Um, they identify, yeah, I'm listening, and we can hear your story. And I go, yeah, that, yeah, mm-hmm. I can identify. Even with the, the horrible, horrible stories, right? Yeah, like that, the, the dead baby and the the girl with the, you know, the Raquel Welch mask. And even mm-hmm. if the stories are so, so incredibly horrible and maybe foreign, distant, still, this is the same thing. Everybody there, maybe most, everybody there can identify. Yes. this I think this, uh, to me, that stands out in the sections about AA, about this earth. I think that's what this is about, namely. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, the uh, so the white flag group uh, meets Sundays in the cafeteria. Um, So, yeah, it it describes here the uh, drive. It's so funny to think about driving without a GPS. And, you know, the way we all used to give stupid directions like this. Right. (laughs) Take a left after that huge cemetery. uh, And then, you know. Whatever. And and somehow we managed to find things. Um, but yeah, that part of it was very, I, I can see that. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is made of this, these slogans, right? And we've, we've heard about this before, the one day at a time. And yeah, Kevin, I think you write a couple chapters ago. Um, that's kind of where it almost seems like that's where everybody starts because it's about all they can identify, right? Mm. Like if you were to say, well, what does AA do that keeps you sober? Well, uh, we we go to in this room and we drink coffee and we talk about being drunk and we all have some different version of the same story. Uh, and there's 
always stupid signs on, on the fucking wall. Like, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, there is part of it, part of that. Um, now, they, they talk about um, kind of Gately gets into how ferocious Francis and, and others really, especially for the um, for the newer AAs, just his uh, his advice is just kind of like go right, just go and fucking listen and mm-hmm. shut up. Yeah. And and eventually it, it'll probably make sense. Um, mm. Not coincidentally, the same advice I give to people reading this book when they say, "But it doesn't make any sense." Yeah, just <laughs> just turn the page. Um, <clears throat> so so yeah, um, there is part of that. And now, does that remind you guys of anything else we've seen in the book? If if you think of the kids with the tennis drills, yeah. right? The the drills that they learn are incredibly complex when they first learn them. They do them so often that they can probably do them in their sleep at some point. They don't know why. Um, they they just do it. I, I'm certain that John Wayne never said to shit you know well geez why do i raise my hip before i serve what's the point of that um maybe he did once but i'm certain he didn't ask twice um so yeah i think there is a little bit of that blind faith Mm. in here um you know that the tennis kids have and that also, let's be honest, the kind of all addicts have, right? They say God protects fools, fools and drunkards. Like, I mean, you think of some of the shit that addicts do and live through. Um, you know, we've heard about a lot of them already. We're going to hear about a lot more. Um, so in a sense, it's almost like turning over that blind faith that is somehow miraculously kept you alive to something else that makes maybe less sense. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, the description here of the progression of the disease, um, very, I mean, it's pretty spot on to me and, I don't know if I would say that it's repeated from earlier in the book because we hear Joel talk in very similar language. We hear Ken or Daddy talk in very similar language. I, I believe Kate Gomper, same thing. Um, so I, I don't know if it's a continuation or a repeat. Uh, then vocational ultimatums, unemployability, financial ruin, pr- pancreatitis, overwhelming guilt, bloody vomiting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like you're totally fucking bats. It's like there's two yous. And when you'd sell your own dear mum to stop, and still you find can't stop, then the last layer of jolly friendly mask comes off your friend 
the substance. It's midnight now and all masks come off and you all of a sudden see the substance as it really is. For the first time you see the disease as it really is, really has been all this time. You look in the mirror at midnight and see what owns you. Mm. What's become so what good. you are. Mm. Yeah. Um, and of course, Joelle very literally does this, right? Where she literally looks in the mirror at her old house, mm. Molly Notkin's current house, and also, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but it seems like the Incandenzas probably lived there, um, Jim and Avril, because they mentioned something about um, some uh, the, the house is described in, in a very, actually, I believe it was when Joe uh, Avril's water breaks for Mario. I believe it is in that section that they say something about a back bay, brownstone, whatever, described kind of the same way, which makes me think it might be the same house. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm going to call it a continuation or, you know, even a, a further elucidation of what is happening, you know, and, and maybe more description is able to be used here or more words are able to be used because the narrative is further from the addiction. Um, so that, you know, maybe not that you see things differently or that you see different things, but that you do see them differently. It's the same things, but all of a sudden they mean something different. Um, you know, probably, uh, a, a vodka bottle with with five shots left in it next to your bed means something completely different if you're a drinking alcoholic than if you know you're not a drink you, you know you recognize it it means something completely different uh -huh. um to me a lot like um you know, like if you're out and about and maybe your friends have some Bolivian marching powder. Um, and, you know, I, I think we've all been there. And you say, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom and I'm going to leave it on top of the urinal for And then you go after me. And you think <laughs> you're so fucking sly, right? Like, <laughs> you're great. And, and then, you know, if you've hopefully we've all been at the bar, not on cocaine. And you, you, you see this same thing happening and you're like, the fuck are these two idiots? Like, so true. guys, you might as well bust it out on the table because it wouldn't be any more obvious. Um, oh, that's so true. You, you know, so th there are, you know, things like that, that as you get further into recovery, you notice and they mean different things. Um, so yeah, after this, and then you're in serious trouble. Mm -hmm. so, so again, you know, those are these AA fuckers, you know, some of them might be like, yeah, that's it. But like, nope, nope, that's when, that, that's when you're in trouble, you know, and, and that's when shit starts getting bad, um, you know, because now, it, it, I mean, it's 
it's in you and and you see the language the language that's used here the the disease is internal it's not it's a part of you it's not something you do it's something you are like like at some point you're not a person who drinks alcohol you're an alcoholic who manages to hold a job or or, or whatever um at some point it's not a choice that you make you know it's it's a part of you uh, you know like wallace says in this is water hardwired just like height and shoe size and and it needs to be unhardwired and and i think everybody knows that especially these addicts and that's why they have a hard time believing that these fucking pansies at this meeting are going to be the ones that make me stop drinking hmm. um so uh it is also i think very quick to sort of point out that you have to want you have to want it that's like the one caveat is like if you don't want to quit a is not gonna work you know absolutely prolong the whole thing but like that's you know i don't i'm not sure if we've even gotten to that part yet but that's kind of at least the tip yeah. for me is that if you want to do it and you go to a and you you know get the raffle tickets with the phone numbers and you make friends and you talk to people it will work you know what i mean yeah yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, psychological, social type principles and rules in play here. Right. You know, the I, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but if you make a goal for yourself, the more people you tell, the more likely it is that that goal comes through. Um, if I tell you guys that I'm never going to wear tie dye in my life again. You know, and then next week, one of you might be like, Jamie, what the fuck, bro? It's been a week, you know, where if if I keep that to myself, no one's going to call me out on it. So there is that, um, Mm. you know, there, there is that part of it that, you know, we, they are all here for the same reason, which, you know, of course, we were probably dealing with court mandates and things, but ostensibly, the main reason for them all to be here is a desire to stop drinking. Um, so there's that social proof of of looking around and saying, well, these, these fuckers were in a lot worse shape than me, and somehow they seem better. Um, you know, so yeah, there is that aspect of it. Um, you got to want it even if you really don't want it. Like, oh, I don't want to quit. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to keep going on like this. Like, you know, sure. some layer of you has to want it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, they yeah. say you cannot get drunk and you cannot get sober. You cannot yeah. get high and you cannot get straight. You are behind bars. Um, Such a good section. So spot on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. So you now have two choices. You you can either eliminate your own map for keeps, blades are the best, pills, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I love this. Something whimpery instead of banging. Yeah. And you, you guys know where that comes from, right? No. Oh, my God. Where is that? Um. It's a Dylan Thomas poem. Do not go, uh, I believe, do not go gently into, 
yeah. No, it's how will the world end? Will it emperor with a whimper or a bang? Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> where the fuck? So yeah, it's uh, it's like maybe three this, Spanish. Yeah. Um, so. And yeah. The poem, and I'm sorry, it's not the do not go gently. Uh, no, it's T.S. Eliot. Jesus Christ. Um, so, yes, T.S. Eliot's This is the Way the World Ends. Uh, this is the way the world ends, T.S. Eliot tells us at the end of his 1925 poem, The Hollow Men, not with a bang, but a whimper. Um so, um, so yeah, it, it's similar to, um, similar to Thomas's do not go gently. Right. Is that Thomas or am I fucking dead wrong? Um, yeah, this is all the show prep. Um, <laughs> do not go gently. Yes. Okay. It is Dylan Thomas. Thank God. Uh, Do not go gently. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Um, So uh, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was thinking, but that's not what Wallace was thinking. Apparently, instead, Wallace was thinking Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot. And um, yes, and it ends with uh, this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Um, So I will throw that link to that in the chat. And uh, Every day is a good day to read more Elliot, in my humble opinion. Um, and thank you. Sure, it's it's probably a great day to learn how to use a computer too. But oh, there it is. Jesus, three forty-eight, about five or six lines down. All right, so. Um, yeah, something whimpery instead of banging, better clean and quiet. And since your whole career has been one long, futile flight from pain, painless. Um, so yeah, just really, I, I mean, and I just skipped half a page, and, and here we've still got, or else eliminating your, your map so you spend the day killing every last bit of every substance you've got in one last joyless, bitter farewell binge and resolve the next day to go ahead and swallow your pride and try the meetings of this program. Um, yeah, every meeting is a reunion once you've been in for a while. And then the palsied newcomers. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, so I, um, when I was in Boston, not this last time, but the time before I did, I made a point to go to an AA meeting and it was like nine o'clock Sunday morning. It was an all men's meeting and I found it somehow cause I drive like a fucking idiot. And, uh, so yeah, I get there. I'm like, all right, this is, and it was like, it looked like an upscale. I, I don't know. It was like a rec room of an apartment townhouse thing is what it looked like. I don't know. There, 
excuse me, there must have been 120 people in there. Um, and so the meeting started and I couldn't understand the fucking guy, you know, the Boston accent mile a minute. I could not understand what he said. And next thing I know, they're just going around the room and all I could hear was like a staccato, like, duh, duh. Hey, Jim. Duh, duh. So they were going around the room and everyone was like, Jim, alcoholic. Hey, Jim, Bill, alcoholic. Hey, Bill, Bob, wow. alcoholic. Hey, Bob. Around the whole room wow. that quickly. So then like the speaker talked a, a little bit, introduced the, the meeting, and then it was break time. So in this break time, I swear, it, I felt like a hot chick walking into a bar by myself. <laughs> Because it was like it was like these guys checked the roll call and made a mental note. I've never seen that guy before, you know. So during this break, I'm out smoking a cigarette, and no fewer than five people came up to me. Hey, Jamie, how are you? I haven't seen you before. What are you doing? Blah blah blah. Oh, just visiting. So there was that, and it was um, it was like a bar. Honestly, that was the environment. Um, for the first half. And then the second half, when we went in, it was kind of more of the down to business type stuff. And it was at that point, unremarkable um, in that it was an AA meeting. And, and I've been to enough AA meetings that if you pay attention, there's something you're going to hear that you're going to say, wow. Um, so, so there were certainly moments like that, but it wasn't like, holy crap, they, they shouldn't even call this AA because it's something completely different. It wasn't, um, there were donuts. So, um, and I can imagine for a newcomer, I can imagine how intimidating this is, mm. um, you know, and especially it, I don't know if it's the self-consciousness that comes mm. with alcohol. But I know when I first stopped drinking, like I didn't get in trouble. I didn't wake up in a ditch. I, you know, it, anything like that. I just kind of got to a point where I was like, well, if something, if, if drinking was going to unlock something for me, it would have done it by now. I drank enough. I am certain of that. I was not, I, I was never one or two away. Um, so I just figured try something different, but I was all, and I love bars. So for a long time, I was self-conscious about, well, I'm going to go in there and order a water and everybody's going to know I'm not drinking. And I'll tell you what, alcoholics, the only time they care what you're drinking is if it's their drink. Okay. <laughs> they don't give a flying fuck. It was funny about, probably about six months after I stopped drinking, I was in the bar that I go to that I love going to. And I saw a regular there and we were talking and he's like, I got to quit. And, rah, rah, rah. and you know, my girlfriend did said, well, you know, Jamie hasn't drank for however long it was. He's like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. You mean to tell me you come in here and drink soda? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's exactly what I, I'm telling you. Soda or water or, or nothing sometimes too. But, you know, and he's like, oh, and no one gives you a hard time. Well, if anybody was going to, it would have been you. You're telling me you didn't even notice. Yeah. And it's a little discouraging 
that you didn't notice I've been sober. Like, I mean, but be that as it may. Um, so yeah, I can just imagine being in, and that was the point I was trying to make, you know, being a newcomer where you, you have all this shame that's not there. It's all in your head that you've got, to, oh, I've got to tell people I don't, that I, I drink and yeah, no one gives a fuck. Um, it, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, it's like not going to a strip club cause you're worried about who you're going to see there. Well, they're fucking there too. <laughs> like, so, um, but yeah, I can absolutely see how intimidating it would be to walk into one of these meetings as a relative newcomer, um, you know, and, and really feel, feel like you're fucking lost. Um, and then Gately seems to find out AA turns out to be the very loyal friend he thought he'd had and then lost when you came in. Um, man, I, it, that verbiage just doesn't make sense to me. And then Gately seems to find, so that's second person, and then Gately seems to find out AA turns out to be the very loyal friend he thought he'd had and then lost when you came in. So is Gately talking about someone coming in? Like, like I understand the point of it, but syntactically, it's either so right and I'm so dumb that I don't get it, or... It's not, um, but, and, and there are a lot of these, uh, he may had mentioned the narrative. This narrative seems to me to be very, it's less flowing than it is rambling. W would you guys agree with that or not? I mean, it does seem to kind of, at least a little bit, kind of like, it doesn't jump, I mean, to go on for over 20 pages. It doesn't, like, it's not super disjointed, I guess. Like, it yeah. kind of just flows together. Um, and he kind of gets all his points across, I feel like, you know, in kind of an orderly manner. But he does kind of jump back and forth between, like, there's a lot of those, like, um, parentheses with the two two lines you know yep. which kind of it i mean it's super orderly but it does like make like it he meanders a little bit with those you know so it is uh i mean to go on for as many pages as this is and say as much stuff as he does yeah it, it is surprisingly orderly i'd say yeah um yeah like almost like almost like someone on their deathbed and, and they're afraid they're going to forget something or you, you know just like yeah like someone that just wants to make sure that they get everything in yeah um kind of reads like an aa meeting yeah you want to hurry <laughs> up tell your story get it all in you're you're rambling but you're trying to make sense or i, I don't know that's sure. kind of reminded me of like yeah, that's a great point. And it, I'm not going to read this whole sentence, 
But there is a sentence here that starts, and so you hang in and stay sober and straight, and out of sheer hand-burned-on hot stove terror, you heed the improbable-sounding warnings not... And I'll stop there, but it keeps, and here's just another section in that same paragraph sentence. Uh, you keep getting ritually, ritually down on your big knees every morning and night, mm -hmm. asking for help from a sky that still seems a burnished shield against all who would ask aid of it. How can you pray to a God you believe only morons believe in still? But the old guys say it doesn't yet matter. So, yeah, there are these dashes and these interjections, mm -hmm. um, but there are no end notes. Right? Am I right about that? Yeah. There's a couple, but not anything substantial or just kind of like more like, you know, um, what when uh, uh, Limp, you know, Gately's. Uh, okay. You know, there's like a couple little ones that, but nothing like. Oh yeah, you gotta read this. It's more like just some okay. So 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 yeah, it's more interjections yeah, right. and clarifications or qualifications than it is. Oh, this is gonna explain that whole thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think Not you're right. Notes. <laughs> right. Right. Um. All right, and I mean we're still going here about. You know, it's almost like if you're not sure if you should be here, you know, just here. L let me know if any of these have happened. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And now if the older guys say jump, you ask, you ask them to hold their hand at the desired height. And now they've got you and you're free. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, so the first guy up here talks about taking a solid shit, um, which to him is a miracle in and of itself. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, I don't think Gately says it, but I'll say it for him. Who are we to say what's a true miracle in sobriety? You know, <laughs> this guy has a solid shit. Someone else keeps their job. You know, I, I, who are we to say? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think it also um, is almost like an introduction to AA where, you know, it's almost like, you know, that especially for some of these newcomers, the last thing you want to throw is the dead baby lady because you might lose some of the newcomers in your first meeting or before the raffle break. Um <laughs> So, so there is this, yeah, this kind of funny type thing that, again, you, I don't doubt for a moment is true. You can tell by the language that he's not, pardon the awful pun, but bullshitting. Like, he's not, this, this isn't him up there trying to make with the yuck yucks. This is yeah. legit him telling his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, four-year white flagger Glenn Kay's personally chosen higher power is Satan, for fuck's sake. Um, yeah, they can't kick you out, right? And, uh, that's one of the things that, that Gately likes to point out to people. They, if you say you want to be in, they're not going to kick you out. Yeah. If you show up drunk, 
they're probably going to try to keep an eye on you, make sure you don't hurt yourself. And, and I love the part where it says, and they'll probably encourage another ride home, but they're not going to fight you for it. They're not going to pull the keys out of your hand. Um, you know, so, and, and that comes up later in the book, uh, ferocious Francis, you know, all of these things are suggestions, right? Much, much like you'd suggest a parachute were you to jump out of a plane. Yeah. Um, but that's all they are. Um, so yeah, identify and, uh, yeah, Erica, you mentioned that. And holy mackerel, could they ever identify with the deeply honest feelings and how he'd done them the service of giving them the gift of a real remember when type experience because they could now remember feeling just exactly the same way as Gately when they first came in, only they confess, not then having the spine to honestly share it. Okay, so a lot of identifying going on. We've got the old timers. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we get a little bit about, about Joelle and Ken and, uh, Kate Gomper. So what do we find out about those fuckers? Well, I mean, most specifically, I guess we'll start with Erdetti and Kate Gomper. I found I found it interesting that Don says he kind of likes Ken. Mm. You know? Yeah, I was like, huh. I mean, you know, I guess it just kind of goes that you know Don isn't as like like one dimensional as you know whatever as you know you might make him out to be. Because I would kind of think that a guy like Ken would sort of like just immediately sort of turn Don off. But I, I'm not sure where what page uh, he is. But he's like, you know, yeah, I, you know, he kind of likes him. Um, yeah and yeah let's get into that but um just wanted to mention obviously we know kate and uh and her daddy are there for weed yeah. they're at in the house for weed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah um gately does kind of take a liking to her daddy um i don't know if it is just that her daddy is treating gately like a superior um, you know, that he listens to Gately. I mean, look, it, it might come right down to Kenner Deddy is a white collar worker mm. at Viney and Veals, which we know from the end of the book, um, they're affiliated with the government. But, you know, there are whole parts of white collar jobs that are just listening to people that you think are fucking idiots Mm -hmm. and, and doing so in a way that they think the highlight of your day was listening to them talk. Um, and, and and Gately does point out the way that Erdetti, you know, listens to him, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that he actively listens. Um, and, Yeah, uh, he's got that. One of the things that I never pictured uh, Kate Gomper is shapely, which Mm. is something. Um, Probably I should have something more to bring to the table. But um, yeah, that one um, jumped. uh, That one surprised me. Just when I pictured her, I picture her being skinny, not shapely. Um, But 
in any case. So yeah, they are they are both there for weed. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, Kate Kate lies on her intake form. Right? She says that she was addicted to some low grade tranquilizer because she was she her shame was in saying that what she couldn't control was weed, not in saying that, you know, she couldn't control herself, but, but just over weed. Um, and then Gately has the part that is hysterical. That is, you know, it's like a lot of narcotic dependent people just smoke weed when they don't have their shit. And Gately just smoked weed all the time. Even when he was doing his shit, he just always smoked it. I always liked that part. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I think, uh, yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Gately talks about how, you know, at some point he realized some time had passed before he had thought of his substance. Mm. Uh, which is funny because, you know, for a long time, it seems he was unable to think about anything but the substance. Yeah. Uh, how much of it do I have? When am I going to need more? You know, think of think of uh, poor Tony and the crew on Christmas Eve having to score not just enough for that night, but the next day, too. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there is that. And then there's a lot in here about Joelle, isn't there? Yeah, the, he talks for the first time about her, like, voice. That he, like, you know, it's kind of hints at that sort of, I'm trying to see what page, uh, I thought I underlined it, but, um, you know, yeah, that he, like, kind of <laughs> recognizes her voice. He can't hmm. quite place it. He calls it, like, you know, it, he kind of, like, talks about how smooth it is or whatever. Yeah. I, I'm a uh, hypnotic nature that, um, you know, we've sort of talked about a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this Joel girl that wasn't even on the two month waiting list for intake got in overnight under some private arrangement with somebody on the house's board of directors, mm. upscale and field guys into charity and directing. Um, and it, you guys remember how she how she did get in there? I don't know if I've passed it, but so yeah. basically, yeah. go ahead, Kevin. No, you go, Jeremy. Uh, basically, the doctor that I don't know probably pumped her stomach, had to pull up the veil and saw how fucking hot she was, or whatever. I mean, I don't even know what it is. He he saw what she looked like and and, and took a special interest in her recovery. He called Pat Monasian over at uh, the Enfield house um, to get Joel into the house um, immediately, if not sooner. And it mentions that he had done the same thing, had taken the same interest in Pat some time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so Pat's got some sort of privately directed arrangement with the girl. Gately's already seen enough private type arrangements between certain staffers and residents to feel like it's maybe kind of a character defect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, still a lot of, I mean, 
it's just observation, right? And I, I, I say just, it's 20 pages of observation and recall. Uh, now, there are actual quotation marks in this se section uh, for the double quotes. Yep. I never rolled a car. I never lost a wife. I never bled from the rectum. Um, and this is Gately as he's kind of talking to Erdetti. So, so here we, it seems like we switch into Erdetti's head, at least, uh, part of this new Joelle girl's pull for Erdetti isn't just the sexual thing of her body, which he finds made way sexier by the way the overlarge blue coffee-stained sweater tries to downplay the body thing without being so hubristic as to try to hide it. Sloppy sexiness pulls her daddy in like a well-groomed moth to a lit window. Sloppy sexiness is just about <laughs> fucking perfect. Um, in, in terms of a descriptor, um, I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe anything as sloppy sexiness. Um, and typically, if I were to think of sloppy sexiness, what that would mean to me is someone that looks sexy, but you can tell took a lot of time to make sure that they also looked like it was accidental or sloppy. And obviously I don't get that impression from Joel. Mm -mm. Uh, uh, the, uh, the stain on the sweatshirt, um, you know, I mean, the professional conversationalist had a stain on his sweatshirt and even in this section, they talk about the substance encrusted shirt that you're wearing when you look in the mirror. Um, you know, so there's a little bit of that. Uh, but it's also the veil. Wondering what horrific contrast to the body's allure lies swollen or askew under that veil. It gives the pull a perverse sideways slant that makes it even more distracting. Um, yeah. So what do you guys, what, and, and I'm sorry, this is probably terribly sexist, but I do want like Erica, he may, I don't know if like for me, like if I'm out, let's say, and there's a chick and fuck, we'll make this completely concrete. My girlfriend has outfits that are literally like a t-shirt and and I'll just watch all night and be like, how? How can I not at least see an ass cheek? Like <laughs> you're wearing a t-shirt in a hurricane and, and, and everything is staying in place. How is that possible? And, you know, I kind of can see how that same thing would happen here, right? At least for me and probably because I'm fucked up. I'll take the hit for, for everybody. Um, but, you know, maybe you do see a girl that you think, wow, she's got a great body and she seems really, really attractive. And she carries herself in such a manner that I guarantee she is fucking smoking hot. But I can't see her face. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sure. I, me personally, 
I'd be done. I wouldn't be able to do anything else except for trying to catch glimpses of her face. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I do think that there's part of that there. Um, and yeah, so the raffle break winds down. Everybody wants their own ashtray. Um, and yeah, and uh, so here Joelle is described maybe for the first time as as tall as Gately. And we already know that Gately is a man mountain. And I had never really, I, I don't know that I had noticed that before. Um, oh, and here's the voice. It, it is it is the first time he realizes that Joel's voice, crisp and rich and oddly empty. Yeah. How can something be rich and empty? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's I like the description, but it's not descriptive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there's an allure to her voice, but she's not saying anything or yeah, I don't know. Rich and oddly empty. Like, you know, it's like I, 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 I smoked a cigar that was so good. The smoke was like water, but dry. What? Like, so, so yeah, her accent just barely southern and with a strange and it turns mm -hmm. out Kentuckian lapse in the pronunciation of all apicals except S is familiar in a faraway way that both makes it familiar and yet lets Gately be sure he's never once met her before out there. Um uh, so unlike Erdetti, she's standing and in flats is nearly Gately's height. Um, so I, I think we talked before that himself married a spitting image of his mom. And I had certainly noticed that Joel had very similar manners, mannerisms, etc., habits as Avril, but it seems that they have more than a passing resemblance. Mm. Um, so that's that, I guess. Um, but yeah, the subjective, subjunctive counterfactual. I love this part um, that Joel you know, but for the grace of God as a subjective, a counterfactual, she says, and can make sense only when introducing a conditional clause like EG, but for the grace of God, I would have died on Molly Notkin's bathroom floor, um, which is 100% absolutely correct uh, that I'm here, but for the grace of God is literally senseless. Uh, and again, this is from the book. I'm here, but for the grace of God is, she says, literally senseless. Um, I would argue that her voice being rich and oddly empty is also literally senseless. Mm -hmm. um, and 
with a foamy enthusiasm with which these folks can say what in fact means nothing at all makes her want to put her head in a radar range at the thought that substances have brought her to the sort of pass where this is the sort of language she has to have blind faith in. Do you do you think this is this is I thought when I read this I thought this was strange like it's odd that's coming this is coming from her like is has she been influenced by Oren who was influenced by his mother the analyzing the language this is like she's thinking about the correct grammar or usage when she's in AA she went through hell she wanted and to discussing it with Gately Mm -hmm. And right. So is it does this sound odd to you like strange that she's talking about the way language is being used in AA? Is she that influenced by Avril? Like what or is, or is this is this her and this is honest? It, I, I let's know. open that up. What do you guys think? Because I certainly don't know. Um I I don't think it's the first instance of it though. I think. I think we've seen Avril kind of described as like a superwoman, right? Um, if you remember in the Pemulus footnote, it ends with, well, if you can't figure out the math, Hal, ask your mom. Um, mm. Oh, do you guys want to know the best comeback for any mom joke? <laughs> hey, leave my mom out of this and I'll leave this out of your mom. <laughs> It works better with a gesture, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, I, I do think, uh, he may that you did a great job, um, pointing out most of the possibilities that this could be right. So what could this possibly be? It could be that, I mean, it could be that Joel saw that Oren was obsessed with Avril mm. and got to work making herself Avril. Sure. Um, however, I don't think she made herself taller. Um, you know, but, but I, I do agree that it's odd in that it's out of place. She's from shiny prize exactly. Kentucky for fuck's it's, sake. Exactly. It's any it, yes. Out of and while in mm. 60 minutes more or less, she certainly speaks grammatically correct. Um yeah, I would say, you know, without knowing what else to say, that certainly this sounds like Avro. This sounds very inspired by Avril or Hal. Um, mm. But again, Oren, in his phone calls with Hal, pulled out plenty of grammar shit. Plenty of it was wrong, but it's also obvious that he knows his way around, you know, a dictionary. Um, mm. But yes, I agree I, I agree completely, Hime, that this section is strange, um, you know, because I, I don't know. I guess another possibility is she trying to get kicked out. This is her first day-ish huh. there, um, and Gately has said that 
everyone else. You know, there's a lot of superlatives here. And he says this is the first thing that that people do. They try to get kicked out. So is she maybe trying to get kicked out? I don't know. Um, is this an unreliable narrator? Unreliable in that he, she, or it sees a part of Avril in different places that aren't Avril. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm certainly open um, to ideas, but I, I don't know that we're going to get any answers, you know, specifically here. Um, so, so yeah, I, if anybody else has anything about that, I am all ears. Um, Gately looks, Gately looks at a rectangular blue salvaged expanse of clean linen whose gentle rises barely allude to any features below. He looks at her and has no idea whether she's serious or not or whacked or trying like Dr. Jeff Day to erect denial type fortifications with some kind of intellectualist showing off and he doesn't know what to say in reply. He has absolutely nothing in his huge square head to identify with her with or latch onto or say an encouraging reply. And for an instant, the Provident Cafeteria seems pin drop silent and his own heart grips him like an infant rattling the bars of its playpen. Uh, so an infant rattles the bars of its playpen while an addict rattles the bars of its cage. And he feels a greasy wave of an old and almost unfamiliar panic. And for a second, it seems inevitable that at some point in his life, he's going to get high again and be back in the cage all over again. Because for a second, the blank white veil leveled at him seems a screen on which might well be projected a casual and impressive black and yellow smiley face grinning. Wow. Um, so what is, <clears throat> I mean, we know what a veil is, what, but what are some other things that it could symbolically represent, resemble, or stand for? The mask of addiction when you're not really your authentic self. It's, I always sure. looked at addiction or, or my own addiction as, yeah, it's like, it's a veil you're hiding or I don't know. Yep. I, I, I totally agree. And, and we know that in this book, masks and mistaken identities and appearances are a big part. What else could it be? How about like a movie screen? Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh yeah, like you know, a, a a blank wall or or a white sheet hung on the wall. I don't know yeah. if maybe I went to an extremely uh, gifted and talented high school, but I can remember certainly hanging shit on the wall <laughs> to watch a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and 
And that kind of plays into what her daddy is saying too, right? It's almost choose your own adventure. You can make up whatever you want her face to look like, especially if you're never going to see it. Um, so, holy shit, it's 930. God, I talk a lot. Why don't you guys tell me that? Um, we like our, it. <laughs> the... All right. So yeah, a little bit more on this playpen. The infant leaves its playpen alone inside him. Um, this, of course, is it's not foreshadowing, but it, you know, at the end of the book, when Hal goes to the meeting with the teddy bear, you can kind of see parts of it here. It wouldn't be foreshadowing because there's absolutely nothing here that would, oh, I bet Hal's going to go to it. No. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, okay, so we got more speakers. Um, and oh, so this guy, Filene's, this guy's pretty fucking special. Um, yeah, so why, 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 why don't someone tell us about this guy? Who, where are you? I don't know what page I'm on. It's uh. <laughs> 360. 360. Yeah, I'm sorry. I used the digital one, and it's uh, for this at least, and it's page 145. Oh, weird. On the digital one, but there's only 429 pages on the digital one. Uh -huh. So, um, so, so yeah, this guy, the the speaker is the uh, oh, with the hammer. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's the head of the complaint department at Filene's. Um, and he was a severe alcoholic. So when people came to complain, he'd get under the desk with a hammer and say, sorry, I'm just working on something here. Um, okay. And you know what? It worked sometimes. Um, and then it stopped working. Probably a lot like you know, maybe alcoholics would say, Jesus Christ, I felt like such shit when I woke up that I had another drink. I don't know why, but it helped. So, so I did it again. And then, you know, and then what happened was I was drunk before I got out of bed and, you know, so, uh, bad ideas tend to catch up with you. Um, so yeah, this guy's hiding under the desk. Um, and again, uh, Gately or whomever talks about kind of the how to AA, you know, no irony, no self pity, um, because allegedly, or, or to these guys, um, that weakness or excuse finding is just a way for the disease to get back in. Um, you know, if you say I was drinking because I was in a terrible relationship, well, when you're in a good relationship, maybe you're going to think, well, I, I guess I can drink again because, you know, the problem wasn't the alcohol. It was the relationship. Uh, the problem wasn't the alcohol. It was my job, the, you know. So at that point, it might be real easy to say, well, you know, I got I got rid of everything that was fucking my life up. So I guess I can drink again now. Um, but in actuality, you may have had shit like backwards. Um, yeah. So then this chick, 
to become a stripper and semi-whore at the infamous Naked Eye Club out on Route 1. A number of male eyes in the audience flashed with sudden recognition and despite all willed restraint, automatically do that crawly north to south thing down her body and Gately can see every <laughs> ashtray on the table shake from the force of Joelle V's shudder. Uh, okay, yeah, so she had to become a stripper at 16. Um, because she was living in a foster home and the father was raping the stepdaughter and putting a Raquel Welch mask on her. Again, we have masks. Um, we don't have to get into the depravity of this because mm. it kind of goes without saying, like, I mean, you guys can all take a shot at one, but I, I don't think any of us are going to come up with a new description of how depraved having sex with a handicapped kid with a Raquel Welch mask on is. I mean, I, mean, I think we, we can almost um, stipulate that, that, yeah, that's fucked up. Um, and, and yet she is very she is very easily able to detach herself. Um, like she has no empathy for, and I'm going to use her word, it here, right? Hmm. She's not, she doesn't, remember the father sometimes forgets to take the mask off. So she goes and takes the mask off and puts it away. Why? Because she wants her doesn't want her sister to wake up and be scared? No, because she knows if the mother comes in and sees that mask and figures out that the father's been fucking the sister and takes the sister away, uh, the, the, the stripper and semi-whore says it doesn't take Dr. Sally Jesse Raphael to figure out who's going to be next in line. Mm -hmm. So even in this horrible situation that I'll say it is still fucking funny. There's this, th there's this, her looking at it in such a manner that she's not once thinking about what her poor sister's going <laughs> through. She's thinking about how will it affect me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the part with the ecstasy of St. Teresa, mm. um, you know, that I believe it's the second or third time that work of art has been mentioned already. Mm. Um, and also that at least reminds me a little bit of Hal with the, um, with the therapist where he says, I, I couldn't help that I thought it's something smells good in here. You know, I almost get part of that where the the stripper sister doesn't want to think about that that is not what she wants to think about at that moment yeah. but she can't help but think that the o face looks just like that picture in the living room um maybe and i might be making this up but the ecstasy of St. Teresa may have been in the scene where Joelle's having too much fun. Yeah. Okay. 
Good. Good. Glad I didn't make that up. Um, so, yeah. Uh, with a creepy smile and flip out and make the invertebrate catatonic's father stop diddling it. Because, the speaker figured, if the foster father had to stop diddling it, it didn't exactly take Sally Jesse Raphael MSW to figure out who was then probably going to get promoted to the role of Raquel over in the next bed. Um, this remind you guys of anything else in the book? Or? Oh, um, like Mike, um, Mike's brother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. And part mm -hmm. of me wonders if Mike Pemulus is the stripper semi whore. Was he laying in the same bedroom saying, no fucking way I'm going to make any noise? Yeah. No way. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, or there could be. Um, so, yeah. Um, that definitely rang a bell to me. If he wasn't thinking that, he would have been if he was, you know. Right. He would Agreed. Definitely, definitely would have been like, wait, I, I, I can see the writing on the wall of this. Absolutely agreed. Um, all right. So, yeah, self-pity and denial. Two of the smiley face sergeant-at-arms more fearsome aides to camp. Um, Okay, so the Boston AA in here that protects against a return to out there is not about explaining what caused your disease. It's about a goofily simple practical recipe for how to remember you've got the disease day by day and how to treat the disease day by day. How to keep the seductive ghost of a bliss long absconded from baiting you and hooking you and pulling you back out. Um, yeah, so do not ask why if you don't want to die. Do like you're told if you want to get old. Whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah, so some heavy stuff here, right? Like, and e even the uh, comic relief, for lack of a better term, is all wrapped up in some real heavy shit. Like, you've really got to do some digging. Um, and, and yeah, and then, uh, we step out to, again, we're still in the next chapter. We're still on I day, uh, gaudy Amos Igator. Remember that's that song we looked up last time. Uh, and if it's odd that Mario's first halfway coherent film cartridge, blah, blah, a puppet show. All right, I'm going to stop here, guys, because I feel like, you know, these are some really meaty sections, um, you know, so kind of where we started, if we think of the Eschaton chapter as our own version of the end of Act One, um, you know, then certainly we could see that 
it's not if we do take that leap it's wallace makes it very clear that it's not a shakespearean end of act one and it's not going to be a clear linear type thing in fact we have all of these things happening at the same time um mm -hmm. which which is interesting because again, at least during the rest of the book, I have a hard time figuring out, okay, now this was right before what or whatever. So, so this section that is all taking place at the same time may in fact mirror what Hal and the guys are going through, right? Where they know shit's coming. Yeah. There's no duck in it, but it's not coming before this weekend. And you still got to be here this weekend. Um, you know, so so there is that that part of it that, yes, while this thing has happened up the hill, that is of utmost life and death, maybe importance down the hill. We've got another a meeting and, mm -hmm. and even even more so what passes for life and death up the hill. A uh, bunch of rich white kids hit each other with balls. Um, down the hill, we have a stripper slash semi whore carrying around a dead kid for a week. Like, you know, so it, it, it's certainly a matter of perspective. Um, and you can kind of see that with the attitude that they take towards substances up the hill, right? It's just, it's, I don't want to say it's a joke because they know it's serious and they, you know, and they look it up and they want to know what they're taking and things, but you know, they're more worried about whether it's, whether they're going to be able to piss clean yeah. rather than whether they'll ever stop singing show tunes in their life. Um, so. Anything else that you guys think about here or that you want to mention about the AA? Because we've all read this before. We know that, you know, AA is going to play a central role. So anything else you guys want to wrap up this section? I, I wanted to ask a question. I don't know if um, I don't know if I'm reading it correctly, but I don't I just I don't know why when Gately in that in this section, when Gately is talking about Joel and the voice, he thinks he thinks he recognizes her voice. It sounds familiar, which right. It's maybe from the show, from the radio show. So that maybe is easy to deduce but yep. what about the panic why why does she make him feel that why the panic the terror the horror that he feels is it because of the voice is it what why is why is making him why what what is triggering this fear i don't Gr know great great Maybe. question he may so yeah, I don't know. Does that mean I don't know if I'm <laughs> going too far? But maybe he he and I, I don't even know if that is chronologically possible. But maybe he overheard the tape, the video, she, the, the the movie. Uh, yeah. Or or is this about addiction, and that's why he feels? I don't know. I don't know why. Great point, he, he may, and I think. 
I, I do think, and, and I want to open this up, but I, I do think that it that it's mostly from the radio program, but I also think that Gately will be the first person to tell you he may have sat through the entertainment 35 fucking times and yeah. he wouldn't know. And I wondered that yeah. for a while if intoxication was its own sort of antidote, yeah. that if maybe you were out of your head the film wouldn't have the same results. I don't know, but that's yeah. a great question. Great point. He may, what do you guys think? Why does, why does Joel's voice and, and Joel in general send him into this panic that mm. brings him to the realization that he may do drugs again? Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, the, 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 the the only thing I kind of gathered from that part is like, I know there's like a couple of different times where Hal references like um, a familiar panic of not being understood. And mm -hmm. so I kind of took this as like, almost like it's a panic, like an unfamiliar panic because Gately doesn't understand what she's saying. Like he just can't. Sure. Idea. That's like the only kind of thing I could draw like a parallel between because it's like even the two description old and almost unfamiliar, like an old panic would be like something that you've experienced before, but he's also saying it's almost unfamiliar. So mm. it's like kind of a weird, like yeah. weird thing to mm. try to like, for me to try to like wrap my head around that. I don't mm. get it. I don't, and I don't have a clue as to what she's really saying with that whole but for the grace of God, you know. Like, she's saying exactly what she's saying. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like uh, verbally, yeah. Verbally. Hmm. Um, yeah. Grammatically, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that, yeah, there's definitely a part of that. And I'd forgotten about Hal describing things that way. Um, Erica, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I I had some thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I think maybe, yeah, what he might's point might have been valid that, you know, maybe, maybe he did hear, you know, watch the entertainment. Maybe it's bringing back like some subconscious panic or, mm. um, or maybe, you know, he just, mm. he can't relay. Yeah, I don't know what, like, what would make him go into panic with her or somewhere in the back of his mind something. She reminds him of something that, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. a good point. I never... And he doesn't know what to say in reply. He has absolutely nothing in his huge hair squ square head to identify with her with or latch onto or say an encouraging reply. And for an instant, the Provident Cafeteria seems pin drop silent and his own heart grips him like an infant rattling the bars of its playpen. And he feels a greasy wave of an old and almost unfamiliar panic. And for a second, it seems inevitable that at some point in his life, he's going to get high again. Um, unfamiliar. It's like rich and empty. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it goes back to his addiction and his mm. substances. Um, you know, certainly 
not understanding things is not a new thing for Gately. Um, it sounds like he's never been exceptionally bright. And if it's not outright said, I think it's certainly hinted at that that's a big reason why he found such comfort in substances. And he probably for quite some time, especially as a staffer, has been the one with the answers. Um, you know, here he is ready to give out answers before he hears full questions. And here Joel hits him with the voice, with the question, with the whole thing. And Gately's got nothing. He can't even bullshit. He can't go to his tried and true. Well, that's what I thought too. But what they mean is no, that that doesn't work. And he's got nothing. Mm. And for a very long time, when Gately had nothing, he had drugs, he had substances. So here, when he has nothing, and Kevin, in my opinion, that's why it's an old and almost unfamiliar panic. Um, almost like, fuck, I don't have drugs for Christmas Day. Um, you know, just being unprepared uh, for life. Yeah. Right now, Gately's life is keeping these sad sacks from drinking or drugging. And, and here he is. And look, it's... It seems pretty clear to me that he would fucking love to have the answer for this maybe hottie, right? Mm -hmm. He'd love to step right up and knock it out of the park and have her say, oh, Don Gately, you're my hero. I'm never going to free base again. Uh, but he doesn't have it. He has nothing. She and makes him feel that like insecurity that he felt, which is why he used or whatever. You know what I mean? But Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So like that's the old feeling or whatever, but unfamiliar because, you know, right. Cause, cause feeling that. <laughs> I'm reading it like this, like this green wave of inaction, inability to act. Yeah. Like he's, he's feeling that. And that is almost a trigger for any addict. I feel like mm -hmm. if you're out at a bar and maybe you think you say something cute to a guy or gal and they completely fucking blow you off or something, what do you do? You grab your drink, you, you grab a smoke, you, you do something. And here gate gately would love to have the answers or an answer. And he can't get it. It's he's never going to learn it. He's never going to be a smart man. He's never going to be able to explain this subjunctive counterfactual to Joel. But he can piss his pants after taking a whole bunch of drugs. Um, it, and it, it's just. And, you know, and maybe I'm just really fucking on a tangent here, but. It, it almost speaks of the senselessness of drugs that that is what he went to. He didn't go to 
You know, and I realized I've really got to fucking pick up a thesaurus here. Or I realized that not all addicts are idiots like me. And if I want to do this, I'm going to have to speak their language. That wasn't the realization or even the thought that he had. Because it wasn't conscious. It's, it's that fallback for his brain. When, when faced with this... When, when faced with this problem, do this. You know that this works. Mm. Um, so that is kind of what it meant to me. And Frank, I think it's heartbreaking. I think that is one of the more heartbreaking lines in the book. Um, I, was, I was talking to a buddy of mine who is in the program and we were just shooting the shit about something. I don't even know what. And he, he was saying, he was like, yeah, he's like, I tell you the fucking newcomers get me every time he lives out in the sticks. So he doesn't go to meetings as often as he'd like to. But he said, he's like the newcomers, they fucking get me like every time, just the strength and in the literal powerlessness, the literal pack up all your shit and put it in this box and label it shit that hasn't helped me as hard as I've tried and throw it out and then come into this room and admit to everybody in here that you've just done that, not knowing that we've all done it too. And it's not a big fucking deal to us, but, and then he said the other thing that, that really gets him are those people in meetings to say, yeah, this is my first meeting back in a while. Um, you know, as in those folks that were out there and are coming back in. Um, you know, so, so th there was, yeah, there's similar to Eschaton, you know, whatever. Eschaton is a game of life and death played with tennis balls by kids and this is a game of life or death for real yeah. yeah like played by adults but in much the same manner as the kids um the banter at the aa it sounds a lot like a sixth grade lunchroom right you know the guy pretending to throw pretend dental floss at a chick uh, gately or there the narrator even mentions you know things are going pretty smoothly like the kids are pretty good i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give them a hard time if they can keep it at this level um you know but but th but there is that part of it that the kids let you know getting out of hand and eschatoning aren't much different or in a much different headspace than these adults who have, you know, been poisoning themselves for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, uh, there is the part uh, that I had thought we got into. You got to give it away to get it back to give it away again. Um, that will come up later. I believe Gentle says something very similar uh, about the waste. Yeah. Or, uh, uh, and about the concavity, like you got to give it away to get it back, to give it away again. Um, 
you know, so all of these things, I know you guys know this and we're certainly seeing it, rediscovering it. <laughs> it's almost like driving in Rochester, this book. Like, if you don't get it, keep going and take the next right. It's going to take you to the same spot <laughs> because everything in this book is repeated and rehashed sometimes with new insight, sometimes with new words, sometimes just repeated. And, and you see that different people in different stations of life are going through the same thing. So. All right, guys, I'm going to let you get back to your night. Thank you so much. We will be in touch. Um, yeah, to figure out some sort of schedule, at least for the summer, Eric, I was saying before you got here, I hate taking a weekend day during the summer. We get so few of them. I know I know you two are Northern Hemisphere like me. So the last thing I want to do is on one of the three nice weekends that we get a year, have, you know, be sitting around Sunday waiting, waiting to talk. So. Sorry. But this is about talking. I, I'm talking about I me. Mean, this is about talking about David Foster Wallace. So I would. This is. This doesn't feel like you're taking away. All right. The highlight of my uh, month or week or whatever. <laughs> Jamie's got big plans. Oh, yeah, I sure do. Uh, <laughs> trying to find my fucking shoes right now, but. Um, perfect. Well, guys, we will be in touch. Um, I listened to This Is Water again this week. If you haven't listened to it in a while. Too, yeah. Give it a listen. It's 25 minutes and they could be spent worse. Yeah, so, thank you guys. Thank I'll you see you soon. Thank you guys. Have a great night. Bye. Have a great everyone. night. Thanks, everyone.